and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got my co-host, Darcy, on this wonderful holiday season. Darcy, how you doing? Hello. I'm doing okay. Um, definitely less hectic than it was when we recorded before Thanksgiving, yeah. because this time crazy. I at least knew I was in charge of the food for the holiday. <laughs> <laughs> so, so I had a heads up, yeah. but yeah. But I'm, well, I'm if good. you're a good cook, then... Um, you kind of well, get roped I mean, in. when I say in charge of the food, I mean like in charge of picking up the frozen dishes that. Oh, are <laughs> you're not making anything from <laughs> yeah, scratch. Like, let's all settle down. No, no. I'm no. so disappointed. I, mean, I, I did suffer Thanksgiving, but like, we don't do like a big family thing. It's just well, first of all, it's just four of us, and so we don't do a big like gathering thing. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'm disappointed. <laughs> just no. kidding. <laughs> well, I won't send you any I'm totally kidding. Um, are you drinking anything tonight? <clears throat> I don't know. I'm just drinking a ginger ale. Mm. Are you trying not know, to drink? Or? I don't have anything. No, I don't. I just didn't make oh. a drink. I don't Damn it, Darcy. Get it together. You're out of character for me. I know. I'm sorry. <clears throat> I was so unprepared. Well, I'm recovering from a little bit of a chest cold slash head cold slash I don't really know what it was. It lasted about a week, mm. and I'm, I'm like on the tail end of it now, but... So Mike and I, um, on Monday, I walked downstairs, Monday, last Monday, not this Monday, but the Monday before, I walked downstairs and was like, I heard this really kind of loud, like gushing kind of a noise. Um, and Uh-oh. I was like, oh, that's not good. So yeah. I walked towards the basement and I could hear it coming from the basement. Yeah. And I was like, this is not good. So, And I hate going down to the basement. I no, don't want to be in the basement. Is it scary like the Home Alone basement? It's so scary. It's so, yeah. so scary. And I hate basements anyway. Like, I've never been a fan of the basement. Our house, yeah. basement, we grew up in a 100-year-old house. The basement was scary AF. You could only get to it from yeah. outside and that, at that time. And there was always, oh. like, some possum or some other creepy animal that had snuck in there. And they would scare mm. the crap out of you when you went to go get something from the basement. So, no, I don't like the basement. Anyway... Um, I heard the noises coming from the basement, and I was like, this is not good. So I open the door, and I get my phone out, and I turn the light on, and I walk down the steps, and water is covering the floor <gasps> of the basement. <laughs> and um, evidently, the sewer line was clogged oh, with, no. like, tree branches or tree roots or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't know exactly what it was because I didn't talk to the guy who repaired it, but... We got a repair guy out. He couldn't come out for three days. So we dry vacked the basement, not really knowing Mm -hmm. what the water was, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Before before we were able to get a specialist out there to look at it. So he then told us it was the sewer line backing up, which I got sick. Like the next day after we dry vacked the basement out, I was like, I had really bad sinus issues. I had just like a sore throat. I had a lot of sinus congestion, which you can still hear in my voice now. I had a really bad headache, um, a lot of sinus pressure, congestion, pain, etc. Um, and I'm pretty sure it's because I was cleaning up raw sewage in the basement, not knowing it. Ugh, and granted, I wore gloves and I wore rubber boots and I wasn't touching anything directly, but still you're breathing in right. the fumes. And not only that, but our base, our house is 130 years old. Yeah. It's never been cleaned in the basement, I don't think. And God knows what kind of fumes and different dust and rodent mm-hmm. droppings and other kind of crap was floating around in the air from that. So mm-hmm. um, it's probably no, no surprise that I got sick. And it, I had kind of this sore throat and the sinus stuff for like three or four days. And then I just suddenly got a cough and it lasted for like two or three days and then it was done. 
So that's what happens to me. Well, mine doesn't, mine lasts forever. But like I, I always get like the head cold and then it goes to a, a chest cold. But like the cough is the thing that I can never get rid of. Like it'll awful. last for like a month. Yeah, mine usually lasts for like two or three weeks. I'm kind of surprised that it's wrapped up yeah. this early, but whatevs. Um, I'm just glad that it's going away because I hate yeah. getting sick. And with COVID, the silver lining from the COVID was the masks and the social distancing mm -hmm. and the isolation and all that stuff. I didn't get sick for like two years. Yeah. Which was the longest I've ever not been sick for in my adult life. Yeah. So I was very relieved at that. But then suddenly I started getting sick again. I got sick in August and now I just got sick now. Ugh. So I'm like, ugh. But things are kind of moving more towards isolating and things like that because of the, co the mm -hmm. spiking COVID rates and just winter in the Midwest anyway. It's cold and people right. don't want to go out as much. So hopefully that will um, create a little bit of a, a buffer and I'll get well again. So Yeah, and they missed the mark on the flu vaccine too. So Yeah, well, they, they usually do. I think there's... No, they don't usually do it. Um, I heard the year before COVID started, they had like a 25% success rate or something like that with the, the, they ha they, the strain. They do it, but it, it's, I wouldn't They would. I wouldn't say they usually miss it. Well, it's hard to guess because there are so many different yeah. strains of the flu and the colds and things like that that they have to guess based upon what they think the population... Like trends yeah, and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's probably challenging and I don't... Yeah. I don't expect that they would be able to guess it right every single time yeah. or even the majority makes, of the like, time. With the with the spike and all of that too. It's just like, oh god. Okay. So thing. I don't want to get into COVID. <laughs> we'll get hate mail. Um let's jump into some cases for today. So I'm kind of dead. Okay. There's so many updates on the cases that we've covered that I'm just, we're just going to spend this episode today and talk about updates and different articles and things on cases that we've talked about or cases that we haven't yet covered that critical updates have come in on. Awesome. So um, one thing that I wanted to start out talking about is this Jana Duggar criminal um, <gasps> thing. Yes. Okay. Um, and the reason that I want to talk about it is there's two criminal cases involved in this, which is interesting as there's her brother's case and then there's her right. case because she now has been charged with child neglect or something of that nature. Just give me one second. Yes. For some reason I lost In, the uh, endangerment. All right. So the Duggars have been in the news a lot lately, as you're mm -hmm. probably well aware with Josh Duggar being charged with the child pornography possession case, but convicted charged and convicted but Jana yeah. Duggar has now been charged with child endangerment in September according to court documents and she is the oldest Duggar daughter and she reportedly pled not guilty to the misdemeanor charge the news came out one day after her brother Josh Duggar was convicted of possessing child sex abuse material they call it mm -hmm. Jana who is the oldest daughter of Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar their family was the subject of the TLC reality show, 19 Kids and County. Did you ever watch that? Did you ever? I was going <laughs> to ask you the same thing. No, I never. I did I don't, watch it. I don't do reality TV. I did. I watched it. Did you? I did. Ugh. I was kind of obsessed with it because I grew up in a community where, um, well, I grew up in a large family, first of all. At mm -hmm. one point, there were nine of us kids. And it, granted, there were five of us, you know, who were in there. And then there were four step-siblings. But... Mm -hmm. I've always been kind of interested in large families. And then I also grew up in a community where religious kind of fundamentalism and um, mm -hmm. evangelical families and things like that where they don't believe in birth control and things like that were, like, normal. So mm -hmm. to see a family having a show on TV who was very conservative and, and in the way they dress and in the way they, the way they lived was interesting to me. So I did watch that show for a while. But, this but they're, like, conservative 
beyond. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think yeah. more than most of society. But in yes. any case, she was charged with that wealth, endangering the welfare of a child um, charge, which was interesting. The citation was um, received on September 9th in the Washington County area. She's 31 years old, and as I mentioned earlier, she's pleaded not guilty to the charge and is scheduled to appear mm -hmm. in court January 10th. So that is coming up. The court citation did not include any details about the incident. The misdemeanor charge carries a possible sentence of 30 to 90 days and fines in Arkansas. Mm -hmm. She's unmarried, doesn't have children, which is extremely rare for that family because it seems as though they all get married and run off and have a bunch of kids. Um, mm -hmm. But she does live with her parents and many of her younger siblings in the family's large Arkansas compound. An Elm Springs district clerk told the mail that she was not at liberty to disclose whether or not the charge is related to her brother, who was convicted of child sexual abuse materials earlier this week in September, that is. Um, and mm -hmm. I do not believe the charge is related to anything to do with him. I think she was, what I heard was that she was babysitting yeah. and she had turned her back and the child had managed to open the door and run outside in either into yeah. the street or into a situation that was really dangerous. I heard the same thing and... I think that the timing of when it was announced that they were charging her right after he was convicted, it made it seem like the two were connected. Right. And I don't believe the two are connected at all. No. And these things are very different from each yeah. other. Like, let's just be very clear. The news came out one day after Josh Duggar, the eldest yeah. Duggar child, was found guilty. He was on trial for two counts of receiving and downloading illegal media. He faces up to 20 years in prison and a fine of $250,000. Yeah. He's expected to be sentenced in about four months. So this case was interesting. I feel like she's gotten kind of, uh, she got a little bit of a harsh smackdown because of her brother. Because we've right. all been in situations where you've been babysitting and the kid gets out or does something dangerous or whatever, and you just think to yourself, oh my God, and it mm -hmm. makes your heart stop. I don't know, well, you, maybe you didn't babysit, I did. I did a lot of babysitting when I was a kid. Um, I never had an instance where a child um, managed to open the door and run down the street. Mm -hmm. But I can see where it could happen, um, especially if oh, you're yeah. dealing especially with a lot of kids. Especially when there's like 47 kids. Yeah. Is that worth how many there were in the situation? I have no idea. I'm just making it up. Yeah. But like, I, I did not babysit, don't have a lot of experience like watching kids, but I was that kid that like got into mischief and like got lost in the grocery store and stuff like yeah. that. So like, I, I think it's as simple as one of those things. And I don't think it was an intentionally dangerous situation. No. I think it's just... It's not like there's she gave a, a kid kids, a joint. There's a lot going on. Like it's that. probably really loud. Yeah. I'm not excusing it. They're a weird family, but like, I, I I think this was something that probably every guardian has experienced at least once. Yeah, is the way I'm kind of going to. I I it. imagine she'll probably get a slap on the wrist. Although I don't know, yeah. with the conviction of her brother, I mean, I think that there's not a lot of sympathy for that family right now. Um, which, which is, is understandable, which is unfortunate. But, that, but that doesn't mean that the two should be treated anywhere near the right, same. Right, right. You know, it's I mean? interesting. Like, I think that's a weird family. I think they're messed up. I would use a different word if we were not, uh, if we were not a no swearing podcast. Yeah. But what what she did, I think that it's unfortunate that the timing of it made it sound like she was in any way connected to the crimes of her brother. Yeah. Well, it's interesting in that the family is somewhat divided on their support of Josh Duggar. The parents are yeah. behind him and saying, we love him, we support him, we know he did a bad thing, but we support him. And that some of the siblings are like, no, this is just too much. Well, when the first time that it came out that he molested some of his sisters and other children when he was a teenager, 
his parents came out and said, well, we addressed it. He told us, he confessed to us. We prayed over it. We sent him to like work construction with somebody from our church or some nonsense like yeah. that. And they were like, that, that was good enough for us. Right. And clearly that's not, I mean. No, he needed some serious psychological help and he yeah. didn't get it. It's interesting yeah. to me in that when you have these cases, sometimes, I'm not saying every time, I'm not saying most of the time, but sometimes when you have cases of families that are very, very conservative and suppress everything, that you mm -hmm. have young children who grow up being very curious about bodies and sex and things like that. And if you don't deal with that curiosity in a healthy and educated sort of a way, then you can end up in situations where the child does something just completely out of left field and really bad. So well, it's it, this is like the far and extreme yes. end of the of the abstinence only teaching yes. spectrum, and it's like, it's awful. I mean, there's got to be some mental teaching. There's got to be some mental yeah. illness involved here as well, because you just don't do things like that and get involved in um, child pornography without some kind of mental problems. In my right, belief. and and I'm not linking like the abstinence only movement to child sex abuse material in any way. I'm saying right. the 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 way that abstinence only was taught when I was in high school you know we know that there's a link to teen pregnancy and yeah. like a lack of education about <clears> these <throat> things it's kind of yes. just going off of what you are saying so um it's like it's the very far extreme end of that repression yeah so so speaking of the Duggar family um I don't know if you saw Ugh. this additional article it, it just came out pretty recently as well but new analysis the Duggars built a wholesome reality tv empire on TLC now it's in ruins did you see this I did not. I mean, I've seen a couple articles like that. I've not seen this one specifically. I love how they always put that creepy mugshot of Josh Duggar on the beginning. Well, yeah, where he looks high. <laughs> yeah, on the beginning of like every single article that has to do with the Duggars, you see that yeah. mugshot. But anyway, yeah. um, this article, I just found it fascinating. And I let's see where it, did it, where did it, where did it originally come out. It was a Los Angeles Times article that came out this mm -hmm. last week. And when reality TV star Josh Duggar was convicted this month of receiving and possessing child pornography, it brought a shocking end to the Duggars' decade-plus reign as the fundamentalist Kardashians. Which Except it didn't, but carry on. <laughs> it's interesting how they... It's <laughs> a neat yeah. little play on words, but... Their TLC shows 19 Kids and Counting and Counting On, the ultra-conservative Arkansas clan known for its love of tater tot casserole and the letter J, projected a mesmerizing aura of domestic tranquility. Josh was the eldest of the 19 children and was the golden boy, marrying at 20 and accepting an influential job with the Family Research Council's lobbying arm in Washington, D.C., which is super creepy that they brought him in knowing what they knew about him. I mean, they didn't know yes. that he had the pornography or the child thing, but they did know that he had been accused of molesting his sisters. Yeah. But he's now a... Con and at 20, what <clears throat> qualifications does yeah. he have to be a lobbyist at 20? Exactly. But now he's a convicted sex offender. Over the course of a six-day trial in Fayetteville, prosecutors presented compelling evidence that Duggar used the dark web to download material depicting the sexual abuse of children to a laptop in at his car dealership. Images a Homeland Security agent described as, quote, in the top five of the worst of the worst that I've ever had to examine. Jesus Christ. The 33-year-old father faces up to seven, or wait, the 33-year-old father of seven faces up to 40 years in prison. Uh, Duggar's conviction has shaken a wholesome family's reality TV empire. 
um, that's grown larger than the family itself, according to the Times, uh, providing a new, a new scrutiny on TLC's relevance on shows about large broods with young stars, as well as its role in whitewashing the Duggar family's views on sex, mm -hmm. gender roles, and procreation in order to make them more palatable to a mainstream, predominantly female audience. Which is interesting. I knew it was a predominantly female audience, but I guess I just never really thought about it in that way. Well, it's very much like, well, first of all, it started off as the learning channel. So, like, you were supposed to learn something from yeah. watching this channel. Then it kind of became just reality TV. But it's it's always presented itself as the very family-forward, family-friendly yeah. reality TV. Yeah. And in the past, I mean, up until recently, even still, you could argue, that has always been a very heteronormative no sex outside of marriage pretty much presentation of family like there's that's it's one type of family yeah and not but really presented we're gonna get into that we're gonna get into yeah. that a little deeper here okay um, but the case against josh duggar is that the is the latest in a series of scandals involving the alleged sexual abuse of children by people linked to tlc programs which I didn't know either, but last Ooh, year, I didn't either. last year, former Little People Big World star Jacob Roloff said he was molested by a producer on the series. Whoa! And they couldn't be reached for comment on that one. In 2017, Toby Willis, who appeared with his wife and 12 musically gifted children, who like the Duggars were homeschooled and had names beginning with J, in the Willis family, this Toby Willis pleaded guilty to four counts of child rape. In 2017. God. TLC also canceled the controversial, highly rated Here Comes Honey Boo Boo in 2014 when it was reported that June Shannon, mother of the series star Alana Honey Boo Boo Thompson, was dating a man convicted of child molestation. Oh my gosh. In 2011, Romingo Remy Gonzalez, who appeared in several episodes of Cake Boss, pleaded guilty to sexually assaulting a 13-year-old girl. And Andrea Klebinger, a mother who was featured in the series Cheer Perfection, pleaded guilty to sexual assault of a 13-year-old boy in 2014. This is not the Duggars' first brush with scandal either. In Touch magazine reported that a decade earlier, Josh had been investigated by local police for allegedly molesting five young girls, including four of his own sisters, in 2002 and 2003. So that was yeah. that earlier scandal, right? According to the 2006 report by the Springdale, Arkansas police, the Duggars enrolled their son in a Christian treatment program in 2003, about a year after Josh, then a teenager, first told them he had been inappropriately touching his sisters. In the same report, the parents said they had sent Josh her a, quote, stern talk, unquote, with a family friend who worked in law enforcement, but they didn't report the alleged abuse. So they tried to, like, scare and him straight, <clears throat> basically. Pretty much. But interestingly enough, the friend later went on to jail himself on an unrelated child pornography oh charge. God. Yeah. So the report also indicated that producers at the Oprah Winfrey show who had booked the family on the program received an email from an anonymous source warning them about Josh's alleged behavior and forward it to Arkansas authorities who then opened an investigation. Mm. So this may, this led many to question whether Jim Bob and Michelle had handled the incident appropriately. No, they didn't. And, and what, if anything, TLC knew about the allegations when they put the Duggars on TV. Valid question. No charges no charges were ever filed against Josh Duggar on that right. first allegation from 2003. But after months of public pressure, TLC canceled 19 Kids and Counting in July 2015, but chose to stay in the Duggar business with Counting On, a Josh-free spinoff that premiered later that year. So the series, which aired for 11 more seasons, 11. That's ridiculous. And nearly 100 episodes focused on Josh's sisters, including at least two of his alleged victims, as they married young and spawned a whole new generation of reality stars. TLC declined to comment for the story, but after his arrest in April, the network issued a statement, 
quote, TLC is saddened to learn about the continued troubles involving Josh Duggar. 19 Kids and County has not aired since 2015. TLC canceled the show on the heels of prior allegations against Josh Duggar, and he has not appeared on the air since then. But we're still financially supporting his entire family. Exactly. So, but the problems fine. with the Duggars and TLC more broadly did not begin or end with Josh. Okay, here's a little background on the network. It originated in the 70s as a project to bring educational program to Appalachia using mm -hmm. NASA satellite then relocated to cable and gradually shifted into an unscripted lifestyle kind of a setting for the unscripted lifestyle shows. Mm -hmm. The Discovery-owned channel became a reality TV juggernaut in the mid-2000s thanks to a spate of reality shows about large, unconventional, and typically religious families living in small-town America. This included 17 Kids and Counting, when the title was changed as Duggars had more kids, right? Mm -hmm. There was also John and Kate Plus 8, remember that? Crap show? <laughs> which followed John and Kate Gosselin, a Pennsylvania couple with sextuplets and twins whose marital discord became a national obsession, which, that horrible haircut of hers. Yeah. The Duggars, who appeared in several documentary specials before landing their own series in 2008, were an ideal fit for TLC's emerging brand identity as the Red State Bravo. <laughs> the women wore ankle-length denim skirts and waist-length perms. The boys sported neatly trimmed crew cuts and matching polo shirts. Even for some liberals, it was impossible to resist the spectacle of a child rearing, of child rearing on such an epic scale, or okay. to deny the Duggar kids were cute and well-behaved. That's the word. Spectacle. Yeah. They, this entire, like, everybody that's been on TLC since the 2000s, it's a spectacle. They're not actually watching because you they can't identify with you. It's like watching a car accident. Yes. They, they, don't, they don't identify you. You're, they're not seeing representation on TV. You, they are watching these people because they are a spectacle, and that's disgusting. That yeah. was produced by the North Carolina-based Figure Eight Films. 19 Kids and County became a big hit, with ratings cresting as the older girls began to marry off. A record 4.4 million viewers watched Jill Duggar tie the knot with Derek Dillard in 2014. I believe those are the two that are now against the family and who've called them out for okay. some hypocrisy. But this was the the network's biggest audience since the premiere of Sarah Palin's Alaska four years earlier, Jesus which is scary. Which, mm. um, the success made the Duggars wealthy. They reported they made $25,000 to $40,000 an episode, with millions more in income from speaking fees, book sales, DVDs, and brand sponsorships, and helped boost profits for TLC, bringing the network an estimated $25 million in ad revenue in 2015 alone. That's so stupid. It also turned the Duggars into mainstream celebrities to announce pregnancies on Today, regularly graced the covers of tabloid magazines, and even flew private planes. But there were long-standing questions about the way 19 Kids and Counting and other unscripted programs featured underage stars who were able to skirt child labor laws because they were classified as documentaries, which yeah. I didn't know either. That's very interesting. I didn't either. I guess there was an investigation in 2010 by The Times that revealed the producers of 19 Kids and Counting and other reality TV programs have not obtained work permits to employ minors under 16. Patriarch Jim Bob Duggar said at the time the family didn't consider the filming to be work. If you're getting paid for it, it's work. Exactly. And the questions go beyond labor law. As children, the Duggars' offspring were conscripted into a reality TV show that stripped them of their privacy and anonymity, all in the service of their parents' extreme religious beliefs. Our desire in opening our home to the world is to share Bible principles that are the answers of life's problems, Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar have said. The inexpensive reality TV subgenre popularized by the Duggars is a staple on the network to this day. It's cheap. It's cheap yeah. to film this. The most visible of these current series is a Sister Wives about a polygamist with four, soon to be three wives and 18 kids. Ugh. 
Gosh. There are others like Outdaughtered, which follows a Texas couple with six daughters, including a set of quintuplets, and a well and Welcome to Plathville about a Duggar-esque conservative Christian family in rural Georgia with nine flaxen-haired homeschooled children. Can we please stop it with these weird families? Uh, the allegations that have plagued the Duggars and other TLC personalities will likely continue to attract attention as, as parent company Discovery, boosted by the popularity and profitability of its unscripted programming, pursues a proposed $43 million merger with Warner Media, which Holy means this crap. is only going to get worse and worse. Yep. 2020 TLC had its most watched primetime year ever and remains a top-rated cable network with female audiences. From the start, there were indications of the Duggars' strict religious views, particularly in the early in the early seasons, focus on their stringent rules for romance, chaperoned courtship with mates pre-approved by their parents, no kissing before marriage, etc. But beliefs that might be politically sensitive or controversial were largely glossed over as the series grew in popularity. The Duggars were associated with the biblical patriarchy movement, which holds that men are ordained by God to be the leaders of their households and strongly discourages birth control. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. In their best-selling books, the Duggars endorse the teachings of the Institute in Basic Life Principles, which is a religious ministry, and its homeschooling division, the Advanced Training Institute. The group's founder, Bill Gothard, promoted extreme sexual modesty, including the idea that God sometimes lets sexual abuse happen to victims because of immodest dress. Oh my God, can we please stop blaming women for crimes committed against them? But this man, this Bill Gothard, resigned in 2014 after more than 30 women accused him of sexual assault and harassment. Hey, weird. Right? (laughs) 19 Kids and Counting also regularly documented the Duggars at events organized by the group in ways that omitted key information. For instance, episodes featuring commencement ceremonies about Alert Academy, which is an IBLP-led quasi-boot camp, never mentioned the program, denounces homosexuality, and endorses the use of loving corporal correction on children. What does that even mean? Spankings. Beatings. Punishment. Physical punishment. That's a weird way to... Loving corporal correction, correction. which is spanking, basically. Just hitting your kids. Producers of the show rarely pressed the Duggars on their views or delved into their off-camera activism, which included uh, recording a robocall against the local LGBTQ rights ordinance. The purity culture embraced by the Duggars teaches girls and women that they are responsible not only for their own sexual thoughts, feelings, and choices, but for the sexual thoughts, feelings, and choices of others, particularly those of men. Mm-hmm. <sighs> this meant the older Duggar daughters were taught to use a code word, quote, Nike, to warn their brothers and father to look at their feet if a provocatively dressed woman was approaching. Because why can't the men be responsible for their own This detail was shared in their book, Growing Up Duggar. This also meant that when the molestation allegations against Josh Duggar became public in 2015, his sisters and alleged victims, Jill Duggar and and Jessa Seawold, were put on TV to defend him. Can you imagine? I'm about to break our no swearing rule. People who are calling him a child molester or pedophile or rapist, I'm like, that is so overboard, Seawald, told Megan Kelly on Fox News. Josh was merely a young boy in puberty and a little too curious about girls, she said. The extent of the abuse was mild, inappropriate touching on fully clothed victims, most of it while the girls were sleeping. Like, that makes it any better. Wow, like... That's a completely coached statement. Michelle Duggar also pushed troubling ideas about consent, repeatedly counseling other women to never say no to sex with their husbands, even if they were tired or hugely pregnant. Anyone can fix him lunch, but only one person can meet their physical need of love that he has, and you always need to be available when he calls, she said in an interview with, in an interview with Today.com. Um, baked into the title of the show, quote, and counting, 
unquote, was the assumption that Jim Bob and Michelle would continue having children in perpetuity, turning procreation into a bizarre endurance contest rather than a choice with potentially severe health risks. In 2009, 43-year-old Michelle Duggar came down with preeclampsia, which is a life-threatening condition, and gave birth to her 19th child mm -hmm. via emergency C-section three months early. After another miscarriage two years later, Michelle remained determined to reach the magic number 20 and consulted with a fertility doctor. I'm just... Uh, I have a question. How is birth control a no-no, but fertility I doctors don't are understand. not a no-no? I really don't. Um, 19 kids and counting made it seem like it's quirky and zany to run a household with that many children, says Catherine Joyce, author of Quiverful Inside the Christian Patriarchy Movement, when in reality, older girls are often forced to serve as co-parents to the detriment of things like their yeah. education. Duh. Yeah. Because their parents know that if they keep having kids, they'll keep getting yeah. more money. Once the Duggar girls reached adulthood, there were few options available to them other than marriage, kids, and reality TV. Josh was nowhere to be seen in Counting On, but the series still focused on young women who'd already spent much of their childhood taking care of younger siblings or being trailed by a camera crew. Yet it also spent little time addressing the consequences of having one's first kiss or childbirth aired on TV, or outside of an early episode, the abuse they allegedly experienced in Josh's hands. Ultimately, not all of the Duggar's daughters were happy to carry on the family business. Jill Dillard, one of Josh's alleged victims, and her husband quietly left the show in 2017 because she later told people they were unable to control their major life decisions and were not compensated for appearing in 19 Kids and Counting or Counting On until they took legal action. I believe it. Holy I believe crap. it. And th that's, there's some discord between Jill and her husband and the family now. Uh, yeah. Because they weren't getting paid. That's what it says. But, I mean, I mean Jesus. I'm not surprised. Um, yeah, no. The trial and aftermath appear to have exposed further rifts between the family's once harmonious facade. In an evidentiary hearing, Jim Bob testified he couldn't recall the specifics of the behavior Josh had confessed to him as a teenager. Mm. Yeah, right. A claim that presiding judge called a selective lapse in memory that was not credible. In contrast, yeah. several of Josh's siblings issued statements forcefully denouncing their brother after the guilty verdict. Last week, Jim Bob badly lost a primary race for the Arkansas State Senate in which he ran as a pro-family Republican. When TLC canceled Counting On this summer, months after the child pornography charges against Josh Duggar, the network said it was important to give the Duggar family the opportunity to address their situation privately. It may be about 15 years and a dozen or so kids too late for that. This is the problem Ugh. with TLC. Like, this is... The, the network is... They exploited it! Yes. They are completely complicit in not the crime of the child sexual abuse material, but in continuing to let this family manipulate... Or to, continuing to manipulate this family and continue to give them money and, buy, and, and say things like, oh, we're not problematic because we just don't show the parts that are problematic about this family. Therefore, yeah. we're not the problem. Well, it just conveniently kind of swept in under exactly. the rug. All the little parts that were just misogynistic and, and terrible. Yeah, but we're such a family-run show, and we love everybody, this, that, and the other. We, we're just not going to talk about those other things. They're uncomfortable. We're just not going to talk about it. Well, one of the primary things that concerns me, too, is the child labor law issues here. Those kids had no consent and they weren't getting to appear paid. on that show, and they didn't get paid. And so basically that money all went to Jim, Bob, and Michelle, yeah. for quote-unquote, for the family. But those kids didn't have a choice whether they were going to exactly. appear on TV or not. What if they didn't want exactly. to? Exactly. They probably weren't even talked to about it. Nope. I mean, and if they were, I think there's sort of a presumption that you have to do it for the family. Well, because the dad said you have to do it. And if the dad's the provider, he's the one that makes all the decisions for the family. And then the mom is sitting there telling you, dad said this, we have to do this. He's the leader of our family. These poor kids. So it's they have all no reinforced. Privacy. They have no choice. And 
I think secondarily the issue that bothers me is the the forced responsibility of females for male issues. It's disgusting. Like telling them they have to look down if they pass a provocatively dressed woman because they can't control themselves. Disgusting. Seriously? You can't control yourself. You've got to have your woman control you? I mean, come on. You are not responsible for anybody's actions and behaviors but your your own. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your thing is. I don't care what you're dealing with. You are not responsible for anybody else's actions and behaviors other than yourself. Even so, if you choose to dress provocatively, that's no excuse for a man to... Provocatively is a subjective term. Yeah, but however you choose to dress should not mean that it's okay for a man to violate you. Or if you're a man, it, it doesn't matter how you dress either. It's not okay for a woman to violate you because of the way you dress. It goes both ways. Yeah. Like, honestly, provocative to them might be wearing shorts. Like, what, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. Like, just. Or showing a little bit of cleavage or something. Yeah. I I mean, honestly, really? That's going to put them over the edge where they can't control themselves? I mean. Well, they clearly can't control themselves. So they have to tell their wives and daughters and sisters. It's just so enormously hypocritical. Yes, it's awful. When behind closed doors, all this terrible abuse and neglect and But let's tune in every week to see what kind of craziness the 19 kids are getting into because that's what we call entertainment, America. Yeah. Well, I mean, I just, and I believe I spoke about this earlier, but I just really firmly believe that if you push something down and, and impede children from learning about natural parts mm-hmm. of sex education and things like that and, and control them so rigidly that they're gonna they're gonna want to know it even more and they're gonna do it in negative ways yeah. because it's hidden and it's shameful well and it's yeah it's bad and if like if you keep hammering this idea home that sex is bad that that exploring and like your body and all of this with in consent and all of this stuff if you don't even talk about this and address this stuff it becomes taboo, which then just makes it more fascinating. Yeah. And granted, I mean, I think every parent and every family has the right to choose, you know, what they want to do with their own family. Absolutely. But, I mean, I think you have to look at scientifically what studies have shown. Well, there's when healthy you ways to do it. constantly suppress that, you end up with some very unhealthy negative yeah. reactions yeah. that just are very detrimental to growth and development. Yeah. We should have left this whole abstinence-only evangelical movement in the aughts where it belonged. Because it's, we're past it. I don't know. I, I think about my own uh, development. I mean, I was never, I mean, I had sex education in school, I think in the sixth grade, and it was nothing. And that was it. My mom didn't talk to me about my period, talk to me about how you get pregnant. Like, and I thought you could get pregnant from sitting on a toilet seat. Like we had, we had like health class and that's where it was kind of talked about. But like, there was never like a sit down moment that I recall. Because no. you had to be a good... Uh, we never had discussions about that. Yeah. And sex was shameful, and you weren't supposed exactly. to have sex until you got married, and it was a whole, like, really horrifically terrifying and shameful, and, like, if you had any natural urges or inclinations, And, and again, the, the women dress very modestly. Girls, you have to dress very modestly. You yeah. can't be showing off your body or wearing clothes that are too tight because you are responsible for men's thoughts. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting. Um, and I thought that was a, a fascinating side note to this whole Josh Duggar. side note. <laughs> Duggar legal problems yeah. that have come um, up lately. And I just thought it was a kind of important for you and I to discuss this and address some of these things because I hadn't heard them before as much as I've heard about I've these heard cases. I've heard a little. I mean, I knew they were a problematic family. I knew that their religious pa- patriarchal thing was was 
problematic. I didn't know the thing about the kids not getting paid or the child labor laws. Um, yeah. Well, either I, I just find it hard to believe TLC didn't 100%. know this. And I, they're yeah. definitely complicit in this. They're absolutely involved. It's just they, they basically exploited it and just brushed everything. If nothing they else, they're complicit the by negligence. So they could make money. Like, either they actively turned away from yeah. it or they just didn't want to see I it. I just have a hard time believing you yeah, couldn't know. know something. That much information yeah, just... Eh. I'm really proud of myself no. for not breaking our no swearing rule because I was really on the verge. I was really close when you were... I said the, the word ass, so... You did. <laughs> I said the word ass, so I guess I did break it, but oh well. Yeah. <laughs> it's not like the Duggars are going to be listening. <laughs> Worse swears when you were reading some of those, when you were yeah. reading some of those swears oh, yeah. in the article. But I kept it. Reined yeah. it in. I and controlled then, you know, myself. Just I continuing. You control myself. Yeah. My thoughts. I was able to do that, yeah. Really? And then Amazing. I'm an adult person. <laughs> All right. Okay. All right, next topic. <laughs> the next case I want to kind of cover off on is we briefly covered this in an earlier episode. I really honestly couldn't tell you which episode it was, but there was a family that died on a California trail under kind of mysterious circumstances. Mm -hmm. This, I believe, was um, August 17th. This happened in the Sierra National Forest. And Darcy and I have always been interested in deaths in national parks and forests and things like that because that's a, mm -hmm. kind of a secret, special little area that we're interested in not secret but a special little kind of division of death that we have yeah it's always it is. mysterious but um like it's, people magazine it's, covered yeah. off on this case a, a few weeks ago but mm -hmm. documents from the investigation into the deaths of a california family of three continue to shed light on the tragic events surrounding their fatal hiking trip ellen chung 31 jonathan garish 45 their daughter miju one and their dog oski were found dead along a hiking trail in the Sierra Nevada National Forest, or excuse me, in the Sierra National Forest, August 17th. There was a lengthy investigation into the cause of death, which remained a mystery for some time. But the Maricopa County Sheriff's Office announced in October the family had died from hypothermia and probable dehydration. Their dog also suffered mm. a heat-related death. According to the yeah. investigative records recently obtained by a number of different outlets, experts believe the couple likely died while trying to save their daughter and themselves. All the evidence kept pointing back to heat exposure and lack of water, investigators said. The temperature was 76 degrees on August 15th, the alleged day of their hike, but later peaked at 109, which is insane. Anybody would try to get out and hike in 109-degree yeah. heat. It must have been awful. But they maybe didn't anticipate that it was going to get that hot. And because it was only 76 degrees when they left, maybe they thought that it was just a comfortable, nice kind of a, a temperature to hike in. Yeah. And then they got stuck out there and it ended up peaking much higher. I mean, that's a huge variance. In, that's like a 40 degree variance in temperature, right? Yeah, that's a but lot. But the investigator said yeah. the ground temperature would likely have been much higher due to the lack of shade. One expert interviewed mm -hmm. the detective suggesting the family overheated, causing their brains and organs to shut down. This is per the San Francisco Chronicle. The survival expert reportedly concluded that heat, as well as the train on the trail, led to their deaths, and it is likely their daughter's health began to deteriorate first. Sadly, I believe they were caught off guard, and once they realized their situation, they died trying to save their child and each other, the survival trainer wrote in an email to detectives. Maricopa County Sheriff's Office didn't immediately return People Magazine's request for comment about the expert opinions, but... A suffering infant would give two parents the drive to push through the extreme heat, the survival yeah. trainer said. When one could no longer continue, they stayed behind to care for the child and pet, while the other tried to forge on and get help for their loved ones. It was a tragedy to the highest order. 
A Modesto doctor who works with extreme heat victims told investigators that individuals can die within a couple of hours after having a heat stroke, and that's what they believe happened to them. Mm. But the bodies of the family were found on the morning of August 17th, one day after they had been reported missing by their babysitter. The Chronicle reported that the bodies of Garish, Miju, and Oski were located on a series of steep switchbacks of the Savage Lundy Trail. There was a Ford key fob also found about 100 feet below where Garish was found, so clearly he was trying to get to the car to get them help. Chung's body yeah. was found about an hour later in an area about 13 feet higher than her family members, so clearly she was unable to go on. But among the items mm-hmm. found in the backpack was a 2.5-liter water bladder, which detectives said had only a few drops of water left inside. Um, the Forest Service employee familiar with the trail told investigators that locals typically stay clear of that area in the summer for good reason, right? They know that mm. it gets hot. But police previously noted that hypothermia deaths are very rare for Mariposa County. This is the first hypothermia case um, that they've witnessed here in 20 years. In a statement read by the police in a pre- press conference, loved ones said the loss of the couple, their daughter, and their dog was indescribable our hearts will never forget the beautiful lives of john ellen miju and of course oski they said in a statement they will remain with us wherever they are and whatever wherever we are and whatever we do they said so but so they're saying the cause of death was hypothermia yeah hyper wait was it i don't know hyper is a high temperature yes hyperthermia sorry hyper i didn't mean to imply it was hypothermia it's hyperthermia yes Okay. Extremely okay. high temperature. I apologize. I mis- either misread that or, or made it sound like it was the other one. No, yeah. it's hyperthermia. Hyperthermia. Okay, yeah, gotcha. So, um, the sad, sad case. Um, yeah, really. Don't go on hikes in the middle of summer like that, folks, number one. Number two, be aware of your surroundings and do a little research if we're going to go on a hike in the summer in an area like that anyway. Yeah, um, and I bring... Just- a lot more of water. Than, more yeah. water than you think you need. You've got four, uh, three people and a mm-hmm. pet, and pets need uh, just as much, if not more, water than the humans yeah. do on in high, high temperatures. So just be aware of that and be aware of your surroundings. It's just a very, very tragic case, and I know yeah. that um, a lot of people thought maybe there was some kind of foul play involved or poisoning or something like that, mm-hmm. but no, it's hyperthermia. They really um, misjudged how hot it was going to get and got stuck and... Mm-hmm. basically died after getting heat stroke so very very sad case um another case that came out with an update in recent weeks is the emmett till case which we covered okay. on we covered emmett till in episode 119 that was released february 15th of this last year um and in any case um the Atlanta Black Star came out with an article that said, that didn't happen. Emmett Till's family is not surprised. The Justice Department okay. is closing the case of teen lynched in 1955, but they'd at least hoped for an apology. So the United States Justice Department has officially closed a three-year investigation into the death of Emmett Till. He was a 14-year-old boy savagely murdered in Mississippi in 1955. Officials were unable to prove that one of the witnesses pivotal to the case lied in her testimony. Author, historian, and college professor Timothy B. Tyson in his book, The Blood of Emmett Till, said that Carolyn Bryant Donham, the woman in the center of Till's murder case, told him that she lied about the teen ever touching her, making sexual advances toward her, or whistling at her. The Department of Justice's Civil Rights Division and the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Northern Division of Mississippi, in conjunction with the Mississippi District Attorney's Office, 4th mm-hmm. District, conducted an investigation to explore the validity of Tyson's quote in the book which they should, right? 
If it were to be found true, it would have given closure to the family and the nation on one of the America's most heinous murders. Tyson said that he interviewed the woman in his office in 2008 and that at that time she handed him a transcript of her sworn 1955 testimony and said, that part's not true, indicating that she had lied. Because of her testimony, several white men, including Roy Bryant, Donham's husband at the time, and his half-brother John Williams, J.W. Milam, kidnapped the young man on the morning of August 28th. The next time anyone would see Till, he would be pulled out of the Tallahatchie River, beaten brutally to death. The men then killed the men that killed the black boy for allegedly making a pass at Donham, a white woman, tied his body up and barbed wire, threw him in the river, and anchored his body with a 75-pound cotton gin fan. Bryant and Malam were both charged with murder, but acquitted by an all-white jury. After they were acquitted, the two men confessed to the murders in January 1956 in an issue of Look magazine. With these new accusations, the officials interviewed Donham, the Justice Department reported, mm-hmm. and asked if she could recant her story. They also asked if she had information that would allow prosecution of any living person. The woman, now in her 80s, maintains her story from over 60 years ago and told the FBI she did not recant her story to Tyson. Tyson, according to authorities, was unable to produce any recordings or transcripts to support his claims that she admitted to lying about the alleged actions towards Till. In a press release, the Justice Department shared its decision, the government's reinvestigation mm-hmm. found no new evidence suggesting that either the woman or any other living person was involved in Till's abduction and murder. The case continued, excuse me, the statement continued, even if such evidence could be developed, no federal hate crimes laws existed in 1955, and the statute of limitations has run on the only civil rights statutes that were in effect at the time. As such, even if a living suspect could now be identified, a federal prosecution for Till's abduction and murder would not be possible. The investigators later spoke to Till's family, including family members who saw what happened leading up to the Chicago native's abduction and murder, to tell them personally that the government was closing the case. The department also sent a letter to the family that stated that their loved one's historic lynching was one of the most horrific examples of the violence routinely inflicted upon black residents. Various members of the family shared their thoughts on the decision. Thelma Thelma Wright Edwards, a cousin the new Emma, as a baby, said to ABC News, I'm not surprised, but my heart is broken. I pinned diapers on Emmett. I lived with him. He was like a little brother to me. She continued, I have no hate in my heart, but I had hoped we could get to an apology. But that didn't happen. Nothing was settled. The case is closed, and we have to go on from here. Reverend Wheeler Parker, also a cousin of Till, said during a press conference, today is a day that we'll never forget. He continued, for 65 years, we have suffered pain for his loss, and I suffered tremendously because of the way they have painted him. Another cousin, Ollie Gordon, kept her assessment on the modern day and offered, I think there might have been a different outcome, a different verdict, because the world has moved forward. Very, very sad. Um, Do you think that she did confess to that and just kind of chose not to come forward saying that she did confess because she didn't want to deal with the backlash? Or do you think that that the author lied? I think... I think it's likely that it's a combination of those two things. Um, but this is this is really bad. A, this sucks. But B, this is really bad because what everybody is focusing on is whether or not she did lie, whether or not she did recant, this, that, and the other. Regardless of what she says, I don't yeah. think that he ever put his hands on her, Emmett Till. Um, Maybe he whistled. I don't know. Yeah. But, I mean, regardless, nothing. Yeah. None of that matters. Like what happened to him was horrific and inexcusable and horrible. But 
the fact that this author made this I claim have no doubt of that. Yeah. this was huge news when this came, when this claim came out I mean like it was everywhere and it was everybody had this sense of I can't believe she recanted of course she lied like yeah this is unbelievable can we charge her with perjury like all of this yeah and for him to make this claim and not be able to then back it up is egregious is. on his part. And I believe he's a professor at Duke. Am I not am I right? Um, I'm not sure. I couldn't recall, to be honest with you. I think he's a professor, uh, a historian and professor at Duke or some other university in North Carolina. But he is like an established researcher. And for him to have made these claims and for everybody to just focus on whether or not she did recant yeah i think is kind of crazy we need to focus on what it is that he thinks that he was doing i don't know if he was just overly confident and thought you know there's no way i mean it just didn't do his job as far as documenting but everyone who with any kind of journalistic or writing background knows you've got to have that's what i can't proof. like i can't imagine making a claim like this and then not being able to back it up. Yeah. Like did, I, did he just not, not think that the Justice Department would look into it? I don't know. Like did he just think, oh, this is going to sell me a lot of books and then that's going to be the end of it? Like wh I, this is so mind-blowing to me that he did this. Like, I don't know that we'll ever know because clearly right. the woman isn't saying anything. No. Why would she? Yeah. She's not going to come forward and, and no. take the, the heat for any of that, especially now. And her husband and the guys are all, all of the men that were involved are all dead. Yeah. She's literally the only person that could be charged with anything. She's not going to say anything. I don't... I mean, that's just... Yeah, I don't know that she could be charged with anything at this point. I think the statute of Maybe perjury, but like... That, I that think she's be, more worried about the fallout from public opinion. I mean, entirely possible. It just... I just like... I just can't like... I remember when I when this came out and I read this and like... I, I saw it on Twitter. I think it was like a Washington Post article that, that first tweeted the headline. And then you have the people that... You know, don't read um, that. Don't read the the article, and they just read the headline. And everybody was like, "Of course, the government's so racist, this, that, and the other." And while I won't argue that point, I w like you need to read the article because it wasn't about whether or not an injustice was committed to Emmett Till. That's fact. Right. It was this this author. Like it was just he screwed uh, up. He screwed up yes. big time. Whether he just didn't provide the didn't do a good job of keeping track of his proof of this or whether he deliberately lied either way he screwed up big time yes 100 percent. and he needs to address that mm -hmm. and the fact that i haven't seen anything from him yet is not good no particularly in a case like this that has just divided the nation on so many levels for many many years i mean it's, it's just, very it's, it's irresponsible it's it's, it's, it's just it's irresponsible really bad yeah so um i i just I don't know. I feel for anyone involved in that case. It's just yeah. horrific. It's absolutely horrific. That young boy in no way, shape, or form deserved what happened to no. him. And that community was just, I think, devastated by what happened as well. And I feel compassion, certainly, for yeah. all any and all of that. Um, next case that we're going to pivot on to, and you know, we'll keep you guys posted if there are any further updates on some of these cases, but the next case we're going to pivot to is the Jennifer Dulos case. We spoke about that on episode 41, mm. and then we did updates on various other episodes, but that came out October 2019. But police search a park near where Jennifer Dulos's SUV was found as a two-year effort to find her body continues. Do you think they're going to find it? I don't know. I want to know 
if this is where her car was found, like, why wasn't this searched better before? Right. Police in and Connecticut B-Y- did search the park where the SUV of the missing mother of five, Jennifer okay. Dulles, was found more than two years ago and continued efforts to locate her body. That's what the article says. And then, see, I also want to know what, and this is something I've already seen they're not commenting on, why they are searching it again. So a public information officer for the Connecticut State Police told Oxygen.com in a statement via email that they followed up on previous investigative information pertaining to the Jennifer Dulos homicide investigation and that detectives conducted a search in the area of Waverly Park in New Canaan on Monday, which was, like I believe, a mm-hmm. week or two ago. This was done out of an abundance of caution, they say, to explore every avenue related to the case. These follow-ups are standard procedure as our detectives thoroughly investigate any and all leads. Police said Monday search of the park has concluded and that their office has not been advised of any additional scheduled searches at this time. The spokesperson told Oxygen.com they don't have any information to share regarding what, if anything, was found at the park. Dulos' 2017 Chevy Suburban was found near the same park after she was reported missing, according to NBC Connecticut reports. The mother of five vanished in May 2019 amid a contentious divorce and child custody battle with her estranged husband, Fotis Dulos. Fotis was brought up on capital murder, murder, and kidnapping charges in early January 2020 before he died by suicide while under home confinement. And I guess, excuse me, investigators believe that Fotis was lying in wait for Jennifer at her home before he killed her in her garage. According to the arrest warrant, Jennifer's body has never been found. And authorities have alleged Fotis had co-conspirators, his then-girlfriend Michelle Traconis and former civil lawyer Kent Douglas Mowini. This lawyer. Both were charged with conspiracy to commit murder. They have each pleaded not guilty. Traconis has been released from custody and her next court date is scheduled for February 15th, while, while Mohini has been released and is due in court on January 18th. The high-profile case and Fotis' bizarre theory that Jennifer Dulos staged her own disappearance captured the attention of the nation and inspired a recent Lifetime movie entitled Gone Mom, which I haven't seen. (laughs) I want to see that. Oh, I didn't know they made a movie out of this. They did. That's kind of awful. Yeah. Um, I don't recall it being Fotis' idea. I recalled it being the lawyer's idea that she gone-girled herself. I think that Fotis probably had some help in coming Uh, up with that crazy theory. She was a... a, um, she was a, a writer, a creative writer, and I remember, like, the attorney being like, well, you know, she probably wrote this before Gone Girl even came out. Puke. And I mean, he, this this attorney is... He's a piece of work. Yes, he's a mofo. I don't know how anyone could, like, feel comfortable uh-uh. with the BS that <laughs> came out of that man's mouth, but it doesn't surprise nope. me because there's some really shady, sleazy attorneys out there, and... See, that's so, like, upsetting. I don't know why. Like, you're supposed to be, like, the harbinger of, like, the moral compass. No. Of, I don't know. Since when has that ever been a thing? <laughs> I don't know. I just feel <laughs> We'd like... We'd like it to be, because you're, like, you're upholding yeah, the law and justice, like, but I don't think yeah. that's the case. No, I know. It, it just kind of... I mean, the reputation... I am a lawyer, and granted, right. I don't practice criminal law, but I've... Always, 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 as soon as I decided to go to law school, people had made comments to me of the fact, and you know, kind of in the line with the fact that attorneys are perceived as being very shady and willing to... Animal ch- uh, ambulance chasers. Yeah, and willing to skirt the law, you know, to make money and, and so forth. And, and that is the case. Um, but I think there's also a misconception in that many attorneys are just trying to uphold the justice system. And sometimes yeah. they that results in their clients getting off. 
yeah. being found not guilty when they're clearly guilty. So I think there's a big difference between kind of maintaining that line where you're upholding and, and respecting and cementing the justice system, and that's what our country is based upon. But there's also the line of thinking that our justice system is seriously messed up. Yeah, I don't think that was this guy's problem, though. I think he was just involved in some... Some shady stuff. Bad things. Yeah. yeah. Well... And then tried to cover it up. Yeah. I, I tend to think on that line as well. Um, yeah. But, you know, we, we don't know. Fotis is... Fotis Dulos is dead now, and, you know, he's mm-hmm. the only one that really... And that was weird, too. Yeah. That whole situation was Not, creepy. like, in a Epstein did he really kill himself way, which, by the way, Epstein did die by suicide. We've already talked about that. But... The way that it was worded in that release when he first attempted suicide, because it was his second suicide attempt. Yeah. And the way it was worded, he wasn't dead. Like, it read as if he wasn't dead yet, and then he did die later. Next case. I don't think they're... I don't know. I'm torn on whether I think they're going to find Jennifer Dulos's body or not. There's definitely part of me that really, really, really hopes they do so that the family can have some closure. But yeah. if Fotis if Fotis Dulos was as smart a guy as I think he was, I don't know that they're ever going to find that body. Either that yeah. or he cut it up into tiny, tiny little pieces and put it all over the place. I... I- I kind of hope that either the attorney or the girlfriend knows a little bit that will help them. I think the amount of blood they found on the scene, I think there's no other explanation than he had to have done something really violent and really gruesome to her. I agree. And that could be I, that he I'm kept just, the body up. I agree. I'm just saying I hope that the that the girl like I hope the girlfriend makes a deal or in some way where it does provide information to the family. I don't know you that know he told mean? her. That's I feel like, like if I he was I'm smart, that she has that information. She would have so known that he was it. involved, but she would have not known where he put the body. Right. I wouldn't have told her if I was him and I had done something like that. There's no way I would have told anybody. Well, sure, but yeah, I, I'm just—I I guess I'm just hoping like the, that the family finds finds out information. Yeah, is kind I of, mean, for closure purposes, they deserve right. it. And this, the, she had five ki- children. Like it's just. Yeah. I feel for them. I feel a lot of compassion Absolutely. for anyone who's the family member of someone who's murdered under, you know, crazy circumstances mm-hmm. or just murdered at all. Like, mm-hmm. you want to know the details. You want to know. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyway, we'll keep you guys posted as that case continues to unfold. And then we have the Scott Peterson case. Scott Peterson got yeah. resentenced this last in recent weeks. Um, Scott Peterson officially resentenced to life in prison for murder of Lacey Peterson and their unborn son. This was covered in many, many, many publications. He's been resentenced to life in prison for the 2002 murder of his pregnant wife, Lacey Peterson, and their unborn son, Connor, after spending more than 15 years on death row. The new sentence was handed down on Wednesday, December 8th. Scott, who has maintained his innocence, has originally been sentenced to die by lethal injection in 2005, but then in 2020, the California Supreme Court reversed his death sentence due to problems with jury selection. For the murder of Lacey, Scott was sentenced to life imprisonment without the possibility of parole for killing their unborn son. He received 15 years to life in prison. Sharon Roca, Lacey's mother, spoke at the hearing directly to Scott. Scott, 19 years ago today, you were in the midst of planning Lacey's murder, she said, per KRON4 TV Mm. news reporter Amy Larson. You can bat your eyes, but it's the truth. I see no sorrow and no remorse from you at all. Scott's attorney, Pat Harris, said at the hearing, the man cares a great deal. This man cares a lot. Yeah, right. He only cares that he got caught. 
Um, The journalist quoted Lacey's mother saying to Scott, although you absolutely deserve the death penalty, we chose life without parole for your sentencing. We chose not to completely reopen these wounds. There are two things that will never change. Lacey and Connor will always be dead and you will always be their murderer. You didn't want the baby or the responsibility of being a father. Sharon said per the reporter, you're a coward. She continued, Lacey would have been a good mother. I often envisioned what Connor would have looked like. Had they lived, Lacey would have been 46 today and Connor would have been 18. Mm. So I know that his attorneys have put out statements that they believe that he, you know, is going to get a new trial and blah, blah, blah. Right. But yeah. It's clear. I, I don't think it, that's yeah, happen. that was pretty headline catching when they overturned his death penalty because everybody was like, is he going to be like let out? Yeah. But no, his conviction was upheld. And then now we have officially that his sentence is life without. They were definitely trying to capitalize good. on the publicity that right. came about with that. Um, we did right. cover the Scott Peterson case on episode number seven that came out March 31st, 2019. I feel a lot of, I feel some kind of way you could say about Scott Peterson. I really uh, have yeah. a lot of animosity towards him. Yeah. Not my favorite person because no. like the details behind it and dating Amber Fry and uh-huh. you know lying and being at the vigil and calling Amber and just all the really sleazy shady gross things and who takes a boat out on rough choppy waters on Christmas Day when your pregnant well, and wife then the is the way at home. he was caught too because he was the one that was caught in La Jolla with like multiple passports yeah. and cash and, and all dyed that, right? hair yeah. he's like oh I wasn't gonna get a fair trial so I needed to right. run so no. yeah no. no you were. You were just going to run to Mexico. That's exactly what you were going to do. There's no but doubt. But you had to stop at the La Jolla line. golf course. First. Seriously. And maybe get some, you know, sex workers with all the cash he had. He just seems like the kind of guy that would do something like that. And there's nothing wrong with sex work, but there's a lot wrong with Scott Peterson. Yeah. There is something wrong with men like Scott Peterson. Yes. So, um, gross. Gross, 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 gross. So we talked about Elizabeth Holmes and Theranos in the episode 84, released July 5th, 2020. Okay. Um, yeah, it was a while ago. I didn't realize it was. it was so long ago. Time means nothing in this pandemic. Okay, so the latest is she's testified. She's done everything that she can to try to get out of this. But this just came out. Elizabeth Holmes' jury does not reach the verdict. We'll resume deliberating on Monday. So a third day of jury deliberations ended Thursday, which was today, with no verdict in a criminal fraud trial against Theranos founder Elizabeth Holmes, who was once lauded as one of Silicon Valley's most promising entrepreneurs. Deliberations are scheduled to resume Monday in the closely watched trial that began more than three months ago and could land Holmes in prison for 20 years if she's convicted. Holmes, 37 years old now, awaits her fate on 11 counts of criminal fraud and conspiracy, first claimed and continued, first claimed and contained in a superseding document claiming she'd used her now defunct blood testing company Theranos to defraud investors and consumers. The biotech founder, first indicted in 2018, led the startup for approximately 15 years before it collapsed. After a Wall Street Journal investigation exposed Theranos could not conduct an array of blood tests from a finger prick of blood, as Holmes had suggested. On Thursday, jurors were asked to listen to clips on 2013 calls from Holmes that she had with investors that were secretly recorded. Uh, The call was held shortly after Theranos rolled out its blood testing services in Arizona and California Walgreens stores. Twice during one call, Holmes makes statements about Theranos' engagement with the U.S. military, which prosecutors focused on during the trial, which she kept claiming that she had this big contract with them and that she's reputable because of that. But she said... They don't like it when you lie about things like that. She said, when I started the company, we knew it would take us a long time to be able to establish infrastructure that could do any lab tests that is run in a traditional lab with a micro sample or those tiny droplets that we now take from the finger, Holmes said on the call. 
We thus built this business around our partnerships with pharmaceutical companies and our contracts with the military, wherein we could deploy our framework in the one case for helping accelerate clinical trials and in the other for extreme use situations in trauma and other areas. Asked later during the call if there was a military aspect that she was going to pursue, Holmes said, the military is a big deal for us. She added yeah. that confidentially she could tell the investors about a couple of areas where Theranos had focused in the context of the Middle East and Afghanistan. Holmes said that the survival rate of men and women who were hit with fire was 98% if they received immediate treatment. So she oh, was using she that as a selling claims. point. Yeah. The ability Yikes. to take a technology like this specifically in a flight, such as a medevac helicopter, she explained, makes it possible to begin transfusion and stabilization early. Holmes wanted to say that Theranos had been doing a lot of work with U.S. Special Operations Command and with the military to test the technology in remote areas, which... Uh, Yikes. Know. Importantly, during the call, Holmes also characterized the military applications as business units separate from its retail and pharmaceutical aspirations that Theranos had not fully developed, a legally significant distinction that could help Holmes' case if jurors believe the statement negates the testimony of multiple investors who said Holmes led them to believe that Theranos had already entered into viable contracts with the military. We had to pause a large number of our ongoing pharmaceutical and military programs, Holmes said, in order to put a laser on retail services. We will proceed with the pharmaceutical and military business that, we building, that we're building out now, Holmes added on the call, noting these applications would be important for Theranos in the long term. Prosecutors say that Holmes lied to investors about the extent of her involvement with the military, a point her lawyer rebutted during closing arguments this week. Downey pointed to a contract for study on Theranos devices that the company entered into with U.S. Central Command as well as U.S. Special Operations Command and U.S. Africa Command. These were real projects, the attorney said. Additional statements from Holmes captured on Tolbert's secretly recorded call included discussion about Theranos's increasing stock price, the reliability of its technology, as well as fundamental aspirations. Several years ago, we realized we had created an infrastructure that could, in fact, make it possible to get rid of phlebotomy in its entirety, Holmes told investors, with her goal to run hundreds of tests from a few drops of blood. And because the sample is fresh and is not, you know, a big series of tubes of blood that are sitting in a counter and exposed to temperatures, we don't suffer the rates of decay of key analysis that happen when you ship samples to a central lab. Holmes also claimed its blood tests didn't experience the variability that is associated with traditional lab testing, adding that Theranos tests experienced less than 5% variance. Former Theranos CEO or COO Sonny Balwani, also Holmes' one-time boyfriend, was indicted on the same charges and is scheduled for trial next year. Each of two conspiracy charges separately alleged that between roughly 2010 and 2015, Holmes conspired with Balwani to defraud investors and patients. Six of the wire fraud charges stem from multi-million dollar investments made by wealthy individuals and investment funds between 2013 and 14. Two wire fraud charges relate to payments made by Theranos customers, while in addition, an additional charge points to advertising. Judge Edward Davila, who's overseeing the case on Thursday, rejected the juror's request to take 39-page jury instructions home to review them. Hmm. So this case is in full swing. We're going to get a verdict soon. Yeah. Unless the jury's hung, which I, I have. Know. Okay, I have a couple questions. First of all, I want to know who recorded it. I mean, we're not going to find that out, but I want to know who recorded this these phone calls. Second, I want to know how she's, like, making these claims of less than 5% variance between samples because that's like, you have to back that up. Like you can't just like, I don't know. I think she had some evidence that they did have some variance. I don't think she had anywhere near what she was claiming. I think she sort of right. extrapolated. I think she made stuff up. I think she exaggerated things. I think there was some evidence that what she had was real. And I think that that is the future of 
the industry, but I think she was way, way, way ahead of herself. Well, yeah. We, I mean, we don't have the technology to to test, to run lots of tests without degrading the sample like size. That's why they take so much blood. Yeah. Like, that's the reason. It's because they have to, every time they test it, they use some. So if they run another test, they got to use a little bit more. And yeah. then another test, they got to use a little bit more. Like, you can't just do, like, a prick of a finger. I mean, it's just, it's just nonsense. I think that it's going to happen at some point. I just don't I think it, it was anywhere near being ready at that time. And no. she made it sound like it was. But... I don't know. I think this case is very, very complex. I think scientifically, I think legally, um, and I don't know that the average juror necessarily has the framework or the education or the knowledge to be able to make, and it, that's why they wanted to take the friggin' jury instructions home. I was going to say, I think that's going to be why the jury hangs, if it does, is because... they can't understand the complexity. Yeah, because it's so complex that it's going to, like... Because, you know, whenever they have, like, experts come in and talk, like, there's a lot of jargon, and the jurors, like, they their they're glass goes over their eyes, like, they just completely tune out, like... They're not paying attention to, like, that high, high complex stuff. So You and I are both and, educated, and for me, like, when I read about this stuff, I'm like, it's hard for me to, like... That's why I don't read about it, because I'm just <laughs> like, I don't care. I don't care. I'm yeah. not interested. So, like, it would be really hard to be forced to listen to that. But there was a lot of money involved there. And, oh, yeah. You know, I keep reading different articles and things about, you know, people that she convinced to provide the money. I mean, she definitely mm-hmm. had something there. She she could sell. I mean, she could sell the crap out of it. I just wish she hadn't. But she didn't have a did product. What she did. Yeah. Because I think she could have been wildly successful in in an industry that she did have, you yeah. know, the backing, the information, and the scientific evidence to if she had that. But yeah, she just kind of I think got heady with the power and. And the big thing is, regardless of why she felt this way, why she had this confidence. She was making promises to save lives that she couldn't save. And, I mean, that's the moral part of it that, that, that it comes down to for me. Like, if this Absolutely. was, like, a computer software something or other, like a new social network or whatever that she lied about that couldn't back up, that's whatever. One th- But, like, this was – she's right. going to this the military and saying, these guys that get shot up in combat, we can save their lives in the helicopter if you give me $25 million. Yeah. Yeah, that's the real yeah. crux of the issue, is lives, mm-hmm. the cost of lives, and she just didn't seem to care, right. and that's the really brutal, hard truth about the whole mm-hmm. thing. So I saw this other one about Elizabeth Holmes, and I thought you might find it interesting too, but it okay. says, who was Elizabeth Holmes's husband, Billy Evans? Yeah, because we briefly talked about him. We did. He's from San Diego, isn't he? Yeah. But it says, inside the hospitality airs whirlwind romance with a disgraced billionaire from the MIT engagement ring to a world-gripping Theros fraud trial. So this article came out (laughs) just this week. But evidently, as the world waits for the verdict on the trial of Elizabeth Holmes, the disgraced businesswoman behind faux blood testing startup Theranos, faces nine counts of wire fraud. We all know all that, right? Mm -hmm. And two counts of conspiracy to commit wire fraud. But there's actually been kind of a cult-like fascination that has sort of grown up around this woman and her personal life. Yeah. Um, So the latest is during this high-stakes legal drama, Holmes, who could end up in prison for 20 years if she's convicted, managed to find love with William Billy Evans, who's a 29-year-old hospitality heir from California. Um, So the couple got married in a secret ceremony in 2019. But everybody wants to know, like, what's the deal with this guy? 
Yeah. Um, and also, if you're 29 years old, don't go by the name Billy. Right. Come on. It's just kind of Be a grown-up. Um, but anyway, Evans was raised in San Diego, and he comes from a prominent family. His grandparents, William and Ann Evans, founded the Evans Hotel Group in 1953. That group, that hotel group, is now run and managed by his dad, William Bill L. Evans. The company has okay. three main properties, the Bahia Resort Hotel in San Diego, mm. right? Yep. The Catamaran Resort Hotel and Spa, and the Lodge at Torrey Pines. I didn't know they had okay. the Lodge at Torrey Pines. Yeah, that's... Yeah. But he also inherited a private museum and event space called Evans Garage that houses what? vintage cars dating as far back as the 1880s, according to NPR. Whoa. Interesting, right? Um, a private museum sounds awesome. Right? With cars from 1880s. Yeah. Like, that sounds amazing. But in 2019, the New York Post said that the Evans family was worried that Holmes had brainwashed him. Okay, <laughs> so we kind of talked about that in an yeah. earlier episode, but... We go, we flash forward to now, and I guess Evans's dad is supportive of Holmes now, at least in public. Oh. And he even presented himself as a concerned citizen to reporters during her trial under the fake name Hansen, lament- lamenting how the press was treating Holmes poorly. So, so he, like, she's getting some made support. Up a, a yeah. fake identity. Isn't that weird? Who, who that does is very that? Weird. Um, yeah, that's really weird. Evidently, Billy. Evans attended MIT and graduated with a bachelor's degree in economics. He also spent time in China at Fudan University. And this is all according to his LinkedIn page. I guess he proposed to Holmes in 2019 and gave her his MIT signet ring instead of a diamond engagement ring. Oh, Lord. Gross. So evidently, they said he could snap his fingers and have a AAA diamond engagement ring instantly if he wanted to, but give you got to give... But if you give her some extravagant ring, it could end up going, it could end up owned by the feds if she has to give up her material possessions. So there's a reason behind that, right? So, like, even if he gave, if he gave her that MIT ring, doesn't that then become her possession too? No. If it's his ring and they're just using it kind of symbolically, then they can't confiscate that MIT ring. Gotcha. But in 2019, the Daily Mail reported that Evans and Holmes were living together in a luxurious $5,000 per month flat in San Francisco. Okay, in San Francisco, $5,000 a month is not really all that. (laughs) I mean... Yeah, I mean, that's like... It's not super luxurious. It's a nice apartment, sure. But, like, that's, what, probably market for, like, a three-bedroom, four-bedroom? Not that impressive in San Francisco, just because it's one of the most expensive marketplaces in the world. But anyway, they now have swapped that in for a high-rise... That's larger and more expensive in San Francisco. So evidently, she- the former Theranos CEO is currently living in one of the homes in the posh $135 million Green Gables estate in Woodside, California. Lord. The 74-acre estate, or excuse me, the 74-acre property boasts four pools, a tennis court, a flower and vegetable garden, and a reservoir. The couple's address was only revealed after Evans received a traffic citation. So they're living at a resort. Pretty much. But it's listed for sale right now at the address that they're living. So I don't know what's up with that. But um, after attending MIT, Evans spent time working at LinkedIn as an analyst and a strategist. And he did analytics leadership programs from 2015 to 2017. After that, he worked for Austin Russell's self-driving car company, Luminar Technologies, as a manager of special projects until January 2019. So even though he's this hotel heir, he's yeah. still been working. But that was So he's in and around Silicon Valley, yeah. which seems maybe like how they met. Yeah. 
In 2018, okay. Evans was spotted partying with Holmes at Burning Man just six days before oh. the Theranos employees received an email announcing the company's dissolution. The couple welcomed their first child named William Holmes Evans on July 10th. She revealed in March court filings that she was expecting a child and asked for a delay to her trial due to the pregnancy. And we talked about that uh, right. in one, one episode of the show. Um, her trial ended up being held in September of this year and has continued until now, obviously. The jurors mm -hmm. are on kind of a break until after the holidays. Evans met Holmes at a Bay Area party in 2017. He was once described by his colleagues as a playboy who dated Instagram models, reports the New York Post. However, since their marriage, Evans has been spotted right by home side during the court trials, appearing as the doting husband and future yet to be with a future yet to be decided. So, interesting. Hmm. So, yeah, very. I think there's been some change and shift in how his family has kind of perceived her, and I don't know if you know what's going on. If they really do support her, it's it's interesting. And who, well, why would he I, marry her? I just find that so hard to believe. On top of everything else, like literally on top of everything else, <clears throat> why act like a different person to defend her in the press? Like that's, I'm still stuck on that. It's weird. That her father-in-law did that. It's, it's so really weird. weird. Yeah. And the whole, you know, I'm going to give her my signet ring, my class ring or whatever, so that yeah. they can't confiscate her engagement ring. Wow. So I think he had a good suspicion that she was going to be convicted and I'm just wondering like how their whole relationship's going to play out when she's behind bars because I'm almost certain she's going to be convicted. Honestly like I I really I'm 50/50 on it. Like should she? Yes, but like will she? I honestly have no idea what's going to happen. Yeah. It's a little strange. That whole yeah. thing is weird. The dynamic like did he know who she was when he started dating her yeah like how how soon was it before she had that conversation with them with him like oh hey yeah so basically oh, yeah, <laughs> i'm a disgraced financier <laughs> i'm a yeah. disgraced business like, owner like and also FYI. the way they, they met like that that article made it sound so quaint like oh they met at a party like these are not parties you and i are going no, to these are probably <laughs> these are, very posh yeah. very expensive this is like parties, parties at elon musk's house or pretty something much nonsense. I, i'm yeah. pretty sure that's probably the kind of situation under which yeah met, but anyway um that's just a side note to the yeah <laughs> very interesting about her i just don't see why he would want to be with her or why he would marry her what, I, I mean thoughts honestly like yeah i don't know if like the only thing that kind of comes to mind is that maybe like he knows something and so like they got married quickly so he couldn't testify so against her, but like yeah but like but honestly, I have no reason to think that. Like, I don't know anything about this guy. Like, telling literally, the information. See, I don't either. But like, anytime somebody gets married quickly, I'm always like asking a question. But they had you know a kid I mean? too. It's like they're sealing the deal. I know. But I know. maybe the kid wasn't planned. Maybe know. she did the kid so she could ensure that she was gonna that he would stay with her if she got convicted. I mean, who like honestly, who knows what's going through her brain at any time? But like, I, like there's so much. There's so many questions about this guy. And it's like we're never going to get answers to But spousal immunity like does he, sound legit. I mean, they did meet at the tail end right? of before the company dissolved, right? And yeah. so maybe he did have some knowledge that she felt was important. Like, I don't know what up. he could know or anything like that. But like, but it doesn't sound like he's been called at all to testify. I don't know. I just, I like, I, I just ask questions like that. You maybe know they mean? didn't bother with it because of the spousal immunity. It no, it doesn't. Like, it doesn't sound know. like he's been like even spoken to. I, I I don't know. Like, anytime somebody gets, like, married really quickly, I'm like, okay, what's 
yeah. behind door number two. It's just two. weird how you know his I mean? family and his dad did that weird thing. I yeah, like, oh. yeah. Like, there's a lot of weird... Maybe they're just a weird family. Maybe that's all there is to it. Well, at I first I know. thought maybe he has mental issues, but then I'm like, well, he were, he went to MIT. Like, he and, and China. Like, Yeah, I don't know. I, I'm not thinking that that's just a money... That, that's not a... That's not the old Jared Kushner move. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, totally. I'm thinking he earned his way into that one. Yeah. So, anyway. I don't know. It's just, it's very weird. It's weird to me that they got married so quickly. It's weird that they had a kid during all of it. Like, it's just, the whole thing's weird. <clears throat> well, I just flagged it because I thought it was a weird little side note on the yeah, whole Elizabeth sure. Holmes trial thing. I mean, I know we've talked ad nauseum about the trial and about different elements of that. But yeah. it's just interesting to kind of add a little more analysis when it comes to the man that married this woman yeah yeah so. i want to know like everything about that family totally anyway they should have their own reality show oh i would <laughs> well i wouldn't watch it because i don't watch reality tv on principle but i would read about it on tmz totally so i'm gonna wrap that article up and i just want to end it with something on a little bit more of a positive Good. note because this there's a lot of really kind of grim stuff that we just talked about but I don't know if you saw this, but Chevy Chase Works fast food drive through in South Carolina will in town for Christmas vacation screening. I did not screening. see this. I love this on so many levels. Um, you might never know who might be on the other end of the drive through speaker. Customers visiting the drive through at Raising Cane's Chicken mm. Fingers restaurant in South Carolina were surprised when they got to the window and saw a famous face staring back at them. Do you them. guys have canes in Actu- Illinois? Oh, uh-uh. it's legit. Actor and comedian Chevy Chase decided to help out in the restaurant's kitchen during a recent trip. He stopped by the restaurant for a quick meal before joining the staff in the kitchen. The actor was in town for a screening of the classic Christmas movie, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, one of my favorites. Never seen it. The movie, the movie, which is part of the successful vacation franchise, details Chase's Clark Gris, excuse me, details Chase's Clark Griswold's misadventures as he tries to navigate Christmas vacation with his family. Since its release in 1989, the movie has become a Christmas classic and is regularly shown around the holidays. During his visit to the restaurant, Chase took orders at the drive-thru window and joked around with customers. Before that, he helped out in the dining room by taking orders at the cash register. <laughs> this is freaking awesome. <laughs> that is like I love Chevy Chase. Do you? Like, he's just like... I do. I, I love don't. him. Like, his roles are a little bit on the misogynistic he's side, He's kind but... of awful in real life. He is? Yes. Oh, yes. Like, how? Like, he, everybody that has ever worked with him can't stand him. Because... Because he's a jerk. Oh. Yeah. Like, he's... I'll send you some articles when we finish this up. Like, yeah. Wow. Like, like, notoriously awful to work for and with. Wild. Yeah. Okay, then. Yeah. Um, that's interesting. I know. That's why I was so surprised <laughs> that, like, I wouldn't see him doing something like this. But uh, we have canes here in the South, and it's, like, it's good. I mean, it's... I wouldn't say it's better than Zaxby's, but it's up there with Zaxby's. I have never... I've never seen that i mean maybe i have when i was I'm traveling or whatever yeah. but it's good though is, is it better than popeyes um no or churches uh i don't know that i've ever had churches churches is i think bigger on the west coast yeah um it's like i think there's few things that are better than popeyes because those spicy tenders are so good i've never oh had my god popeyes. i'm just oh i'm just not god. I'm not a fast food kind of a person just in general, but my, my mom makes my mom makes fried chicken and no one will ever compare I don't know, dude. to mom's fried I'm chicken. A, I'm, a, I'm, a, chicken. A, I'm a fried chicken kind of girl and which I mean it's chicken is pretty much the only meat I eat. So when I say like somebody's chicken tenders are good, like you know that I've taste test taste tested all of them. And like <laughs> Popeyes are good. <laughs> 
And they're biscuits. My mom makes oh. like southern, like battered, yeah. deep fried chicken in a cast iron mm-hmm. skillet. And I don't think anything can compare to that. <laughs> yeah. Like she makes it southern style. Yeah. So like you we just, just call yeah. that chicken. It's delicious. That, that's just and Sunday lunch. My mouth is watering right now <laughs> just thinking about that chicken. Yeah. Like one of those chicken breasts. The Keynes oh. is good. It's good. But I'm not going to say it's better than the What Popeyes. else is delicious there besides the it's chicken just the chick- It's. I mean, it's just a chicken place. So they, they sell chicken sandwiches. They sell fries. Like For me, you got to come with more than just one thing. Like you got to have good fries. You got to have a good burger. Nope. And, and those not two things in well. conjunction will bring me in. But if you just have one thing, I'm not going to waste my time. See... You don't eat fries? See, I don't eat fries. What? And I don't what is eat wrong beef, with you? So like, I, I, we have, there is no way we've not had this conversation before. What? I don't eat any form of potato. For reals? No. So, I'm, yeah. I'm literally in shock. I just don't like, potatoes I don't like are potatoes. like one of my, potatoes I, are one of no my main There's no way we groups. haven't had this conversation before. <laughs> they are for everybody. And everybody's so shocked when I say that. But like, wow. no, my whole life I've never liked potatoes. I've never liked no fries. No sweet potatoes? If, I don't like potato chips. Any form wow. of potato that you can come up with. No. Well, yeah. I, I, I eat sweet potato, yeah. Is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I eat sweet potato because that's a different food. Interesting. What's also interesting are the potatoes are a member of the nightshade family. And nightshade is a poisonous berry. What? Oh, see? That's why I don't eat it. No. I just What's also like interesting it. is that potatoes can legit poison you if you leave them too long. See? I, I will drink vodka. That's the only form of potato that I'll that I'll have. But it's even there. It's I not grew my up favorite. in a Midwest kind of a meat and potatoes sort of a family. I did mm-hmm. not grow up in the Midwest, but my mom cooked like we lived in the Midwest. <laughs> Everything was meat and potatoes. Most people do like like burger and fries. That's like the most American thing, or in a baked potato. Like that's the most American thing you can get. But like disgusting yeah. to me Ugh. i don't want any part of any beef or any well, we potato. didn't we didn't eat fast food like we didn't grow up like that like number one there was only i think one or two fast food restaurants in the town that i grew up in and we weren't allowed to go there that wasn't a thing for us yeah. so i didn't really start eating well like i really didn't start eating too. fast like food until i got went away to college then i was like i found taco bell and i was like what is this <laughs> and then i thought Ugh. that was mexican taco food bell. back then and i was like and then when i found out what Ugh. real mexican food was like i was like Oh my yeah, god. Yeah, when you moved to San Diego. Where, where have you been <laughs> my whole life? This is the most amazing yeah. thing ever. Real Mexican yeah. food is legit. Yeah. I love Mex- like real Mexican food. I yeah. love it. And food. they say that the way to a man's stomach is or through the man, way to a man's heart is through his stomach. No. The way to anybody is through their stomach. If you provide them mm-hmm. with good enough food and like Yeah. Yeah, you can you yeah. can nail that. <laughs> Get it. Uh, uh, get it. Uh, yep. uh. <laughs> that video song that's like in a thousand TikTok videos. <laughs> okay. Well, you don't look at TikTok either. I'm, I don't know. Mike it. always sends me the clips from TikTok, and I'm no, like, stop sending it. me TikTok clips. I'm not, I deliberately don't have that platform because I don't care about TikTok. Anyway, um, we're going to go ahead and wrap the episode unless you have anything either. else you want to add. I do have one thing I want to add. Sure. Add it. Did you see that they caught the zebras? What? Yeah, they caught the zebras. No, in yeah. I'm so sad. They I covered it on like die three different podcasts. To for themselves like that. I'm so sad. When did you see this? Uh, maybe last week, two weeks ago. Oh, but yeah, the so zebras sad. have been caught. We covered off on the zebras a couple episodes ago. I had a big rant sad. about zebras. 
You certainly did. <laughs> Go back and listen to our special zebra episode. <laughs> you want to hear about Darcy's rant. Zebras about are how jerks. Nasty zebras are. They are. So that was the only um, thing I wanted to add. The mini dazzle of zebras. You know how the dazzle is the uh-huh. name for the little group of zebras. Uh-huh. The mini dazzle has been caught, folks. Yep. Feel free to shed a tear. <laughs> it's probably better for them that they've been caught. They probably weren't going to live that long trying to survive by themselves. Yeah. Well, considering the fact that they got caught in a trap and one of them passed away. Yeah. Like, yeah. It's probably much safer for those little guys to be in custody Like, at this I point, don't so. like zoos. I think they should be, like, at a wildlife rescue. But, like, they should, probably weren't going to survive very long on their own. Well, they're certainly neat to look at. So, from a I'll distance. Give them that. Anyway. Um, <laughs> thank you for that update, Darcy. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, and... If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, you can shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. Or you can check out our social media. Darcy, where's that at? Yeah, we are at the VFD Podcast on Instagram. So we will post, I don't know what we're going to post with this one, all the screen caps of the articles that we read. I mean. I haven't posted anything in weeks. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, folks. So we'll <laughs> Things have been a little out and put it up there. Yeah, so hopefully maybe because I have a little break yeah. for Christmas, I'll have some time to post some things. Yeah. So my apologies, folks. And please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys.